I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And, and we're, we're the, the Trade, Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. Okay, Trade Guys, so this is the first official Trade Guys remote podcast while we're teleworking during the uh, coronavirus situation that we have here. And as Scott Miller just said, we three are all uh, digital immigrants where our producer, Bree, is a digital native. So bear with us, uh, Trade Guys fans. We are trying our best to record this as seamlessly as possible, but we're digital immigrants and uh, we're doing our best. Guys, we're facing, uh, you know, what Martin Wolf called yesterday in the FT, a possible depression, not a recession, a depression. Um, how is this going to affect trade and all sorts of things? Well, it, things are grinding to a halt and it, it really depends on how long, how long it's going to last. And we're now seeing forecasts of many months, not just, you know, a few weeks. Uh, and you've got a, at least several school systems who have been and closed classes to the end of the year. Uh, we'll get some unemployment uh, application data soon. There was some news today that uh, the filings on, on Monday and I think uh, Ohio were like 12 times what they normally are. So uh, and you've got, uh, you know, people predicting massive unemployment and, uh, you know, cargo, cargo can move. Cargo has not been interdicted. Uh, but uh, you've got to have people at both ends to uh, to load it and unload it, and you've got to have people out there buying it. Uh, and you know, there, you're going to what you were seeing, I think, is a is going to be a a, a demand uh, trough. And if there's no demand, you're going to have a lot of unsold stuff. Look, I think that's right. Look, you, the starting point with this is <clears throat> this is not an economic downturn as much as it it begins as a public health emergency. I mean, that's what we have. We have we have a, a highly contagious uh, virus that is that appears to be uh, lethal, lethal enough that we ought to care about it. And so uh, this does happen in our in our history. Uh, we actually know more about this virus in the early stages than we did, say, about uh, about uh, HIV. You know, AIDS was around for, I think, almost three years before we identified the genomic structure. Uh, whereas with coronavirus, we had the we had the genome genomic sequence uh, on day ten of the outbreak. So we we, we know a lot more. We're, we're, we've seen these kinds of things before. But the WHO is right to call it a pandemic. It has spread rapidly. It appears to be highly contagious. It appears to be uh, if you are in a certain risk class, like over age seventy or with other respiratory problems, uh, the the way the the disease manifests itself is. Is uh, uh, is quite uh, quite serious uh, and has been fatal around the world. So so we've got to deal with this carefully. That the way you stop pandemics or at least slow pandemics like this one, where it is transmitted person to person essentially by by the water droplets in the breath you exhale, is to create social distance. What we are doing in the United States, what's happening I think around the world, is social distance is displacing people from their regular work. So that's that's what's precipitated this. It's unusual because 
as we saw earlier in the week, the typical tools you'd, you'd exercise, whether it's the fiscal stimulus or, or monetary policy uh, in the early stages of this, don't seem to do much of anything because, as Bill's pointed out uh, in, in, a, in a commentary in CSAS.org, it's the virus, stupid. I mean, it's, we're dealing with, with a health crisis here. I think the most important thing to, to, to do right now is do, what, do the right thing to minimize the, the loss of life and, and uh, seriousness of the pandemic and then try to figure out how the economy gets uh, healthy again afterwards. So what are we going to do, though, as you guys have written on CSIS.org, what we're doing right now to try what our government's doing right now, pouring billions and billions of dollars, if not trillions, into the economy doesn't seem to be working, at least yet. What do we need to do to prop up our economy? I mean, for instance, the coronavirus toll on the travel industry alone could nearly double um, the overall U.S. employment rate. Yeah, no question. Nobody's traveling. Uh, the airports are basically empty. People are off the roads. People aren't going to work. Nobody's eating out. So the hotel, restaurant, and uh, and travel industry is is in is in bad shape right at the moment. A lot of restaurants are closed on orders of of state or local governments, uh, or or serving only takeout. Uh, McDonald's made a national decision to not have any restaurant seating, uh, which is and if you if you get outside of big cities and into small towns. In, it's 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 not unlikely that the only restaurant is a McDonald's, the only restaurant in the town, and it's it's sort of the center of the town's activity. So yeah, it's a big part of the social fabric of a town. Yes. So all this is changing. We're we're trying to figure out how to live with it. There are some jobs like ours where you can do you can do it via telecommuting, like uh, and and it may not be the greatest podcast in the world, but we're we're actually recording a podcast. But there are a lot of jobs that can't be done this way. Who says and this so, this is not the greatest podcast in the world? Yes. <laughs> a lot of jobs are going to disappear, at least temporarily, as Scott just described. What you really want to do is find a way to sustain their income during this period. The best thing, I think, would be if you can persuade companies just, you know, don't lay anybody off. And if the federal government has to provide support to allow them to be, keep paying salaries, they should keep paying salaries. Yeah, Bill, I think that's right. And the, the, certainly the, the trying, to, trying to get people to continue employment even even if they're not able to work would be helpful and in in the certainly in the in the in the restaurant industry which is often small independently owned uh businesses uh with with people dependent on tip income uh any way to pr- put some money in their pockets would I think would be quite useful uh some of that the government can do some of that I'm going to make a suggestion to our to our listeners that if you've got a favorite local restaurant go in this week order some takeout but buy a gift card, which gives the restaurant owner some cash, and tell them you, you'll, you'll redeem the gift card when business is back to normal. In New York City, um, there are restaurants are already starting to participate in a thing called restaurant bonds, where you can buy now, um, uh, and I think about 80 restaurants have already signed up onto this, you can buy a, a restaurant bond now, which will give you a discount on your meal later once you can come in. Um, you know, and and sit at the restaurant once the crisis is subsided. So that's another um, you know innovative thing that restaurants are doing to try to keep themselves afloat. Ultimately, ultimately, government's not going to solve this. I think. I think communities solve it, uh, and communities solve it by binding together, by looking after our neighbors, by trying to find ways to, in our own way, when we're able to do something to help out somebody else. Uh, but in the meantime, there's uh, there are at least a few trade stories going on in this one. 
the, the administration seems to be doing two things at once. On one hand, they're lowering tariffs on imported medical devices and, and medical equipment to speed the and, and ease the, tr the, uh, the resupply of medical equipment, make sure we have enough on hand. On the other hand, they're proposing to bring the entire medical industry uh, back to the United States, from, which is now sort of a global production network. Um, and uh, that's not a concrete proposal yet, but they seem to be operating in both directions when it comes to trade policy. So before we get into the, to the medical industry, I just want to I want to pause and go back to what you said about takeout food. So it seems to me the next thing that people are going to start worrying about is can they get coronavirus from takeout food? And are they going to start worrying about that? Like, are we going to start seeing on the news that, um, you know, while restaurants are serving takeout food, are customers susceptible to contracting the virus from that? And is that going to further cripple restaurants ability to serve customers. Um, what do you guys think? Is there a way to mitigate these kinds of fears? Well, it's not passed by food, but on the other hand, if you're touching things, right. you don't have to worry about that. The it's, takeout boxes. Well, it's really the hygiene standards of the restaurant. Look, this is a very hardy little bug. This, this particular virus is hardy. It'll live on surfaces for quite some time, but it can be destroyed with most surface cleaners. Okay, so if your restaurant is cleaning, if, if the food preparers are, are, are practicing good, good hygiene uh, and you're, you're in a, a new sort of a plastic container, I, I, I think this actually brings back the plastics into the discussion because I, I know we all worry about the turtles and the, and, and the straws. But at this point, wrapped disposable plastic is probably the smartest thing we can do to interfere with the spread of the virus. Because and, it's cleanable. Uh, we can clean it. Yes, the environmentalists will be very unhappy about that. They, they will. But, uh, of course, many environmentalists, I think, think human beings are, are pests that ought to be eradicated and therefore are cheering for the virus to win. Well, and many of them <laughs> we're, are we're happy trying for because the other nobody's, nobody's flying and nobody's driving. So, you know, it, it, this is for them. It's going to give the, the, the earth the time to cool off a little bit. Yeah, the carbon footprint is shrinking. So, yes, you, you're living a pre-modern lifestyle in order to stop a... a uh, a virus that uh, its 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 class of of uh, creatures has been around for billions of years. Incredible. Let, let's talk about the pharmaceutical industry for a minute. Um, there's an expected executive order that might mandate buy American requirements for pharmaceuticals and medical supplies, which could really alter U.S. commitments under the WTO's uh, government procurement agreement. Um, what do you guys think about that? It's an incredibly bad idea from uh, not from just from a trade policy standpoint. You know, if, we, if you're going to start doing by bi, national things, uh, what you guarantee are uh, is uh, less competitiveness, higher prices and shortages. You know, we get uh, what is it, Scott? We get maybe what percentage of our uh, drugs and medical equipment is imported? Yeah, my, my guess is about half. I haven't looked at the numbers in, uh, this week, but r roughly half is a pretty good estimate. And that doesn't include the complexity of these supply chains where a lot of the pre even if a, 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 a pharmaceutical is manufactured uh, or, or assembled in the United States, the, the tablets or whatever are created in the United States, many of the precursor chemicals are imported. So it's, it's fairly complicated. Uh, I agree with Bill. This is, it's a crazy way to approach it. Now, what we ought to do instead of 
decide on an outcome we want, like Buy America, is challenge the industry to improve its resilience. Okay, what you don't, what 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 supply chains, if they're managed for efficiency, what they do is specialize, and the specialization can lead you into a place where you don't have resiliency when there are interruptions in the supply chain. And I think that's probably a bigger problem. That's the way I'd express it. And uh, look, th there, are, there are going to be trust problems that arise from this. I think uh, the, 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 the sort of the, 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 the confidence in, in Made in China is likely to take a hit based on what's happened over the last uh, three months here. Uh, so th there are going to be some changes. We're going to feel differently about this. But I think it's important to set the right goal. And for me, the goal is supply chain resilience. You want to be able to consistently deliver what the patients need when they need it. And that may require building in some slack capacity. It may require some multiple sourcing. Uh, but, but, but that's a better objective than let's try to bring everything back home. This gets into my, one of my favorite rants about light switch economies. Uh, the, the, there seems to be this assumption that this is going to solve the short-term problem. You know, everything oh, Scott's talking nothing. about is everything ta Scott's talking about is a good idea, but if you're going to reconstruct supply chains, it's going to take a long time. It's particularly going to take a long time in a highly regulated industry. You're going to start pursuing, uh, pr uh, producing pharmaceuticals in some domestic location. They've got to be tested. They've got to be certified. You know, there's a whole regulatory uh, structure here. This is not anything that's going to happen in the next three months. You're, Bill's right, and you're seeing this behind the headlines. Uh, there's been a lot of frustration on the availability of testing. And one of the key barriers to testing is FDA approval. It's a very cumbersome, long process. When you get it approved, you have a good test. That's, that's a good thing for patients. Uh, but but there's, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of regulations that, that do slow this down, and we'll, we'll, need to, we'll need to have something like a whole-of-government-and-industry project to uh, repair this and, and to get the supply chains where we want them. Uh, the first thing you have to do is agree what, you're, what you want for patients. And I think, you know, uh, uh, made in USA is a lesser goal than, uh, than others. Later this week, Steve Morrison and I are on our Coronavirus Crisis Update podcast. We're going to have uh, Peggy Hamburg, who's the former uh, head of the uh, U.S. FDA on, and we will talk to her about exactly this issue. But I want to ask you guys, um, the idea of reshoring pharma production, so taking away the production of our pharmaceuticals from China, for instance, um, the Coalition for a Prosperous America, for instance, estimates that reshoring the nation's drug manufacturing sector could create more than 800,000 jobs. We're certainly going to need those jobs. Um, is this a good idea? Did, they, did this coalition say uh, what the additional cost uh, to, to, to do this would be? Because that's the trade-off. All right. Now, now, so you can do this. Okay, You can bring jobs back. You can create American jobs. But as Bill pointed out at the start of this discussion, they t they, 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 it will be suboptimal from a cost standpoint. So costs go up somewhere. Uh, right. They the say it'll add two. They say that it'll add two hundred billion to the annual GDP in the first year. But the report that they issued recently does not talk about the the startup costs. So yeah, you're right, Scott. Well, I'm I'm skeptical of their numbers too. I think they're they're. I don't want to get wonky right now, but uh, <clears throat> their methodology is suspect on the eight hundred thousand jobs. Uh, I mean, I think they make some assumptions that are simply uh, empirically not correct. 
there's a larger philosophical issue, though, which is <clears throat> which you've raised, which is where do you draw the line on on self-sufficiency? Uh, you know, we have always had laws that allowed the president to take extraordinary measures to meet our defense needs, uh, beginning with the Defense Production Act. And there's been some talk of invoking the Defense Production Act in this case, because you want to make sure that our defense establishment has what it's ne what it needs. Uh, to keep our Army, Navy, and Air Force, and Marines, and uh, Coast Guard, uh, you know, healthy and safe and able to defend the country. The question is, how far then do you extend that outwards into other things? You know, if you listen to Peter Navarro, you sometimes get the, the feeling that he really believes in autarky. We should make everything here and buy nothing, uh, which I think is a recipe for economic disaster. Uh, should drugs be all domestic? I, you know, thinking about the long term, not the short term, I mean, that's a debatable issue. I, I think uh, the, our economy and our economic growth over the last 70 years has been premised on the, on the, on the philosophy that that's a bad idea, that you end up uh, being less competitive in that marketplace and you end up producing more expensive drugs and you end up innovating less. And well, and the industry that needed innovation or relied on innovation is pharmaceuticals. Yes, and if you can see it in this particular disease outbreak, all right, There's a, there was an outcry for testing. The first company to come up with a fast test was not an American company, it was Roche, okay? A, sw a Swiss company, I believe, all right? And, and it's the international cooperation that's going on now in both medical research and uh, equipment and, and, and pharmaceutical development that is, that is going to get at this disease fastest uh, today there was a, the, apparently the Fuji, Fuji, Fuji film of, uh, of Japan owns a, a pharmaceutical division. I had no idea, but they do. And they have an antiviral drug that seems, that is qualified and seems highly effective on the coronavirus. Well, do you want to you know, reinvent the wheel in the US or do you want to buy some drugs uh, from, from uh, Fuji's uh, subsidiary and treat patients fast? Uh, so you, you, can see the, you can see how this, the downside of the proposal as this plays out. Now, the other downside, there's a, the, the downside that Peter Navarro and others worry about uh, is the, the line from the China Daily. Well, if you don't, you know, if, if America doesn't play nice with China, we're going to cut off your drugs, uh, which was really, as propaganda goes, one of the, one of the worst uh, efforts ever. But uh, having said that, uh, I understand people's fury over that. But we've got to think this through and do what's right. And well, it may not be this. made in USA. Let me ask you this, Scott. The United States and the United States government right now, the, the Trump administration is trading a lot of angry words with the Chinese government. Um, the Chinese yesterday expelled the Washington Post, New York Times and Wall Street Journal from China, which is pretty extraordinary. Um, there's a lot of anger between the two countries when it seems to me there also needs to be a lot of cooperation on this virus. Um, what do you make of all this and where does it leave us when it comes to our uh, business relationships with China? Well, look, I, I agree that we need to get back to cooperation. Uh, uh, we need to restore trust. Um, the, the sensitivity about what this thing is named seems pre preposterous to me. Uh, look, Zika is a river in Africa. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, if, 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 if the Wuhan flu or Wuhan coronavirus is racist, well, then so's Rocky Mountain spotted fever, okay? 
and 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 German measles. Okay, uh, all of which are common common phrases that attribute the specific ailment or the specific uh, disease to the place where it emerged first. It's a, they are place names, not not uh, slurs. And so we probably ought to back off that level of of uh, sort of insult because it's just not helpful. Uh, but at the same time, let's understand that that. Uh, at, at least, uh, you know, the, the world is, is integrated to the point that even if your goal is to move to a less integrated position, you've got partnerships, you've got relationships to keep the, the products moving now, to keep patients being treated now. And uh, you, you might want to think about that in the context of how you get where you want to get. Uh, and usually cooperation works better. You know, the, the, the journalist issue is an interesting one, though, because it's it's not a new one. And it's not it sort of transcends the current crisis. Uh, authoritarian states are always putting limits on uh, independent journalistic activity, both native and, and you know foreign. And this is not a new thing for the Chinese to crack down. But it's also not the first time they've expelled U.S. journalists. Well, it isn't. Uh, but what it, what is the first? It is the first time, or not the first time, but it's one of the few times uh, where we responded by expelling some of theirs or, or circumscribing the activities of some of theirs. Uh, the U.S. government policy historically has has not been to do that, and it's been a subject of debate because there's a lot of people, including some journalists, who think that this is one area where tit for tat is appropriate. And if they throw out one of ours, we should throw out one of theirs. Uh, the U.S. Uh, diplomatic response has tended over the, until this administration has been, that's a mistake because it discourages uh, both sides from understanding each other better. Uh, we need our reporters in China to really report accurately and truthfully on what's going on there. The Chinese may not like that. But it's to our advantage uh, and ultimately theirs to have that happen. Likewise, we need Chinese reporters here seeing how America works and reporting on what, what's going on in America. If we don't have that, uh, we understand each other much less. Uh, this administration has changed that policy, really, and has fallen into this tit-for-tat trap. Um, I don't think it, in the long term it's going to be healthy, but we are doing it. So we'll have to wait and see how it turns out. Well, what does it do in the short term? It makes uh, it makes it less likely that we'll know what's going on in China, because we'll have less of our own sources there reporting on reality. And instead, we're going to get more Chinese propaganda and more People's Daily articles. Uh, and in the absence of conflicting stories, people are going to believe those. And to the extent that we're evicting Chinese journalists here or circumscribing their activities. Uh, you know, the Chinese are not going to get. Uh... Look, this this goes back to where we started, which is tra at this point, transparency is the universal solvent. Trans it's only when we really understand this disease, which is novel, which came out of nowhere. All right. It, it, we're just trying to get our arms around it. But we don't really understand when life is going to get back to normal. And since the, the earliest cases were in China, they will have the, the return to steady state. You know, because all, all any new any new organism like this, any new virus goes through a, a cycle. The virologist will will show it to you. Fauci talks about this. Dr. Fauci in his in his press briefings is they go through a cycle. But but understanding what happened in China in a transparent manner will help us, okay, and help every country in the world where this is happening 
to know what to expect and when, you know, because that, that sort of planning has to happen. But, but at some point, people get become a, develop immunities to a new virus, and the, the virus itself uh, may, may, may burn out, as, as Ebola often does, in its, its outbreaks, or the weather changes. We don't know. It. There's a lot we don't know. And the, the better, we do, better job we do at transparency uh, altogether in this is going to get the very dedicated people who, who are trying to solve this medical problem, this, this public health problem, get them the best information they can, and we'll all get better, then our economy is going to get better sooner if we do that. Uh, guys, finally, I want to ask you, businesses in America are still pushing coalition of 160 retailers, manufacturers, and other business groups who are hit hard by the tariffs uh, and foreign retaliation, sent a letter to President Trump urging him to take swift action on a policy that would provide tax relief to millions of American farmers, manufacturers, families, and consumers without having to wait on action from Congress. Um, what about that? Well, these are the people that were against the tariffs in the first place. They've been against them from the beginning. They haven't changed their positions. Uh, my guess is they're not going to have any more luck this time around than they have the last several times they tried. That's not to say they're wrong. I mean, they have a good point. Yes. As we've talked many times here that we have a president who's fixated on tariffs yeah. uh, and they're asking him to remove a signature element of his trade policy. He's tariff man. I don't think that's likely. Yes. I think in our last podcast, Bill quoted Rahm Emanuel by saying, never let a crisis go to waste. Well, this is, a, this is a, as Bill, Bill correctly points out, a lot of these groups were opposed to tariffs in the first place. The crisis is the opportunity to present another reason to go back to what the policy they wanted in the first place. So, but, I, and, and, but everybody's doing that in Washington these days. Just take a look at the bill that passed the House and is now being debated in the Senate. Uh, th- there's a lot of that going on. Well, you well, see it particularly in the, in the tax debate. Yes. You know, everybody, everybody that has a tax proposal that did not get enacted the last time, Two years ago, uh, they're back, you know, yep. and they're all making the vi- the coronavirus argument. This is going to sp- speed economic recovery. Uh, most of that is uh, distantly related, but uh, it's not going to stop the lobbying. Guys, we're going to have a lot more to talk about in the days and weeks to come, um, and we hope that everybody at home is safe and stays well and um, practices the best of social distancing and like Scott says tries to do their best to support their local communities and uh, you know stays well thanks a lot for being here today guys and uh, hope to see you in person soon yeah thanks and hope everybody looks after their neighbors as well as themselves to our listeners if you have a question for the trade guys write us at tradeguys at csis.org That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the trade guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to the Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. Thank you, trade guys. Thanks, Andrew. You've been listening to the Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.